0: And welcome to the Riffraff podcast, hosted by Amy Baker and Rosie Edwards. We set up the Riffraff to champion the work of debut authors and to provide guidance and support for those dreaming of one day being published themselves. Today
1: we're talking to Anthony Good, author of Kill Redacted, about the books we need to write, the art of fragmented writing, and how to connect your readers to your characters.
2: The last words I said to my wife. Please don't leave. It was an argument. She left. Those were the last words. Angela wants to know more. She always wants to know more. Now she asked me to write about it, not just talk. She thinks I'll be more forthcoming, perhaps. I said to my wife, please don't leave, while we were arguing, and she said she was going to be late and so she had to leave, and she did, and on her journey she was killed by an explosion on the underground.
0: Hello, Anthony. Welcome to the Riff Raff Podcast.
2: Hello, thanks for having
0: me. Um, so for those who've yet to hear about your debut novel, Kill Redacted, please can you give us a little rundown of the plot?
2: So Kill Redacted begins in the therapy sessions of the main character, Michael, as he's trying to come to terms with losing his wife in a terrorist event. Um, but in the process of that therapy, rather than being able to sort of, you know, forgive and forget or move on and put things behind him he becomes quite fixated on who's to blame for the loss of his wife and so his therapy and the journal he ends up writing ends up becoming a kind of moral justification for the murder he wants to commit and which he then sets out to attempt
1: Ooh! (laughs) I mean it's such a great premise really and and i think the setup of 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 therapy sessions are, that's because you you have a character who's by inherently they are talking emotionally about their deep feelings whether right. those are true or not or, you know obviously yeah. unfolds in the book um, it's also incredibly timely. Um, you mentioned a terrorist event, yeah, um, right. a very vague terrorist event, not yes. based on real. But I mean, <laughs> right. but is it obviously? You know, we've had terrorist events in this country. There are, you know, well-known ones around the world. Mm. Did you write with any of those in mind? I know we're going to delve into this topic a bit deeper later in the podcast. But did you? Was seven seven something that was playing on your mind as so you wrote it?
2: Yeah, so it's sort of the whole political backdrop of about, I guess, I don't know, 15 years ago now. Uh, that's sort of where the all the ideas were set in motion, as it were, when I was probably 16. Um, and it was mostly, I think, in a way, the bigger shock for me at the time was the Iraq War, Um and just the fact that it happened I think because I was so as a 16 year old boy I was so convinced that you know this is the 21st century and we don't do pointless wars and we don't kill people unless they're obviously incredibly naive (laughs) Um, so the fact that it happened then I think sort of took me a long time to get over and then how it all unfurled and all the sort of misery that sort of occurred and I think you know You're sort of waiting for the bad guy to get it. You're waiting for something, there to be some kind of reckoning, and then it doesn't happen because obviously this is real life. So, part of the book, I think, is me sort of coming to terms with the fact that, you know, you have, there's no real control, there's no real, like, moral cause and effect. Things happen, and how can you live your life and how can you be at peace with that? and then the other part of the book is sort of the opposite and it's like uh, you know this power fantasy of imagine if you could assume control and if you could enact justice or you could you know even in a fairly sort of cartoonish way perhaps or so it's sort of the those two things at once um, so yeah and it's hard I think it's sort of like a western where the guy is gonna he's been wronged he's gonna get his gun he's gonna get on his horse and he's coming for you and that's sort of the the essence of it.
1: So is this a book that has been percolating since you were 16?
2: Yeah, Yeah, in a way. In one shape or form. I mean, I wrote the first line I think in 2014 and then I left it and I wrote another book. Is it the
0: same first line? uh,
2: No. It's in the book but it's not the first line. Yeah, Uh, it was quite... It was a bit different then. Um, And... The relationships were slightly different, but it was essentially the same sort of uh, impetus driving it. Um, but yeah, it—I think it is the ideas and the sort of what I'm trying to work out and get rid of in my mind. is mm. has been sort of sitting there for like over a decade.
0: I That's think. cool, just letting your subconscious mind mull it over. <laughs> yes <Yeah. and then, laughs> so Now it's here, set in- before us. Indeed, mm. yes. <laughs> right. True. So throughout the book. Um, the name of the of the politician that michael wants to murder is as the name suggests redacted um so there are some scenes where this is kind of completely blocked out like whole pages where his, his or her sorry name is blocked out um, and i'm interested in the journey towards this kind of decision i don't know how much you can say but um, the kind yeah. of like the idea of completely removing that kind of character but kind of hinting at it so heavily and yeah we probably all know but like yeah. you know so so wh- yeah how did that kind of come about
2: So I wrote it um, with no redactions, um, and it was against sort of all advice because this was the third book that I'd written with two previously unpublished novels behind that. (laughs) Uh, And so my agent Andrew Gordon, who's a very patient man, um, he sat me down and said. He recommended that I try writing a period novel, um, so that I I could sort of write all the, the things that I was preoccupied with, but by doing it in such a way that I was sort of creating a world and you know something that readers could enjoy, um, a sort of rich experience. I think he described it. As. So um, I came up with sort of three or four different ideas for that, but all the while this idea was distracting me and was sort of kept coming back and I'd actually thought about writing it before like in 2014 Um, so then I just thought I'm going to write it quickly because everything's there it's sort of waiting to be written uh, and I'm not going to even try to get it published I'm just gonna get rid of it so I didn't write it with any redactions and I was fairly sure that there was no way you could actually publish it so then I sent it off to him, apologising profusely for, you know, basically completely contravening our agreement. And uh, he was, again, amazingly tolerant and thought that it had legs and recommended some revisions. And he didn't even like, it didn't seem phased at all by the content. By the time I sent it to him, I had redacted it just because I thought, well, that's one way it yeah. <laughs> and then
0: suddenly he was like and well, how about if we do it we redact every mention of him and like that and that kind of and were you kind of completely on board with that approach right away or yeah
2: so for me I it didn't like the fact that I'd written it that way with the the actual name or an actual name um it that didn't feel essential to the book you know in a way it was essential to my writing it but um obviously if you spend a lot of time writing something you're hoping that it sort of outlasts whatever ideas or whatever the motivations Mm -hmm. were for writing it so for me I thought it was quite cool and if you know I'd read some BS Johnson um, who plays a lot with like typesetting and the format of the page Mm. Um, so (coughs) I thought that was quite like a fun and unusual thing so I was quite into the idea. Yeah, of it. yeah. it's a great idea. It's a great idea.
1: Which brings us nicely onto our next question, which is about the way that you've written it, because it's in <laughs> letter, form. letter for letter writing form, epistolary, epistolary, epistolary fashion. An annoying word. Oh my <laughs> word! That's, there's too many letters in that <laughs> word, and they're in the wrong order. Um, but it's, it's written. It's written in the form of letters. Um, First, as you mentioned, first as therapist, and then to, to sort of no one particularly. And obviously, you mentioned that journal format as well. Um, what was it about those styles of, of writing that that lent themselves so well to telling your story?
2: Yeah, I've not really thought of it as being in epistolary or however we want to say that I, well, I was just
0: thinking because uh, of the way that you've um, it's it's like t- kind of to the therapist yeah. to start off with and so it, yeah. in my head I was like letters yeah no yeah, it, d- it definitely
2: but, uh, uh, now that you say it it seems obvious yeah um, I think the main thing is I had this idea that it was for or to this therapist and part of it was because I thought it would be quite fun to have the book as a kind of dialogue and then I could situate this therapist as a kind of Surrogate or proxy for the reader. So, and it was sort of off the back of some of the feedback I'd had with my previous books, where some of it was like, I think the first books, one of the editors said, Oh, I just, I really don't like the main character. And that was so alien to me the idea that it mattered, that you should like mm. the main character, or that was the point of reading or spending time with them. So, by having a therapist there, I can have someone sort of point out the, the foibles and the flaws mm. and sort of incorporate that and, you know, in a way sort of play this game of second guessing what the reader might be thinking mm. or subverting that. Um, so it was quite fun and also a nice way to sort of get my revenge on some of those <laughs> uh, editors and stuff. It
0: also, so. tells It also tells you a lot about Michael, the way that he responds to his therapist and the way that he kind of like, you know, his reluctance to speak about certain things or his attitudes towards the world and everything, like, it says a lot in in those interactions, especially in those kind of, the first few few chapters or first few pages, like, you know, you learn a lot about him, bang, like, right away
2: Yeah, right, and I think that's you know, by placing that antagonism there, it's an easy way to create conflict in what would otherwise be him just explaining stuff that Mm. happened Um, so I think having that interaction is a really useful sort of drive for the drama because without it you'd sort of have quite a limp uh, expository um piece
0: i think how did you um how did you come to that kind of form as the as the right one was it a bit of a journey when you were kind of working out the best way to write the story did you try kind of a more traditional kind of narrative or was this always the way that you wrote it
2: yeah so the first page was um the people who matter to me and it's just a list and that was like that was the first idea I had for how this novel was going to happen. Uh, so following that, you know, you just sort of carry that and keep going. Mm-hmm. So there wasn't any, in that sense, there was no experimentation with form. It was very much, this is the form that it's going to take. So um, that, that part was easy, I guess. Mm-hmm. The, the hard part, because it's not really written in chapters, um, rewriting it was a real bitch, because uh, it's like hundreds of fragments and so if you decide oh actually I want this fragment over there then you need to check like, there's continuity problems. So, you to make sure that all the other fragments that were sort of hanging off it mm. need to be either rewritten or moved as well. So, that was uh, the main pain. Yeah, I, I can feel imagine. stressed about <laughs> <talk. Did> <laughs> so, so,
0: so, did you approach it? Because, like, some people, you know, like, will write their ending, or some people will write, like, you know, like at the moment I'm writing something, but I'm, it's a scattergun approach, you know, just the scenes that I want to write. Yeah. Did you write this? Did you attempt to write this in a very linear fashion? Or.
2: No, I probably should have. Like, I, <laughs> I had because I had sort of things that I wanted him to do and I wanted him to sort of level up almost like a computer game character where he starts off at level one and then he needs certain skills and attributes uh, and over the course of the novel he acquires them. So I had like six, I think, different tracks um, like, there was a musical thread, there was a thread based on him getting guns, there was a thread based on him and his wife, him and Paul, you know, so all these things, and they of course did bleed into each other, and that was where the problems began, really, mm. because then when I, I wrote them fairly sort of in isolation, I suppose, but then when I had to incorporate them all, it became obvious that some parts assumed that they happened later on but I needed them to happen earlier mm. and that's when I sort of needed to pause and work out when on earth everything happened and what the actual timeline was which is not my natural way of yeah. writing it. How anymore, did you so. figure it out? Uh, well there was a degree of necessity because I was at that point I was still working with like a real timeline based on so this is when the events happened so when can I plausibly make him a headmaster. When can I plausibly make him retire? Mm. So therefore, when do the events that I've written, when can they fall?
0: Yeah, when it, does the dark web come into being? Yeah, exactly, yeah.
2: <laughs> exactly. So, um yeah, that was quite painful. But there's a lot of, like, fudging going on as well. There's mm. a lot of just, I suppose, hand-waving, because it's, it's not explicit, like, when stuff happens. So there's a lot of fuzziness mm. around when stuff might happen. So there is nominally like a date of when it may have happened but it's not important if it's you know 2005 or 2007 yeah. you know that
1: sort of thing when when you're writing a book that does have elements of being in your protagonist's head where that's where we're situated almost that's the perspective that you're writing from and the more you talk the more i sort of getting a sense of this sort of fantasy element even though it doesn't it's He's obviously expressing sort of fantasies, and it's sort of following a fantasy of his. And when you talk about that sort of computer game idea, how do you make sure that when you're writing from that perspective, with that mindset, that you connect with your reader, so that, like you say, it's not just 400 pages of exposition of a character, kind of you know talking about how they what they're thinking about.
2: Yeah. Uh, <laughs> obviously, doing that,
1: breaking that fourth wall is obviously yeah. one way of con- of connecting and almost write, writing to the to the reader. It's yeah. obviously one way you've achieved it. But how did you? Yeah, how did you achieve that connection?
2: Uh, I think, for me, one of the challenges of the novel was, you know, as you mentioned, I had this ending in mind, uh, and a lot of the novel is sort of in service to justifying the ending. How mm. can I make the reader read the ending and sort of go along with it maybe not agree with it but have some kind of understanding Um, so a lot of the mission was you know how can I make the reader sort of complicit in what is quite a barbaric and brutal ending and so the answer that I came up with anyway is to sort of just explore why someone would feel that way and it comes down to you know the same reason anyone would feel grief or upset or anger it's you just sort of probe the vulnerability and look at why they feel that way and if you can do that obviously it's not necessarily that interesting but you need to find some vulnerability and then dramatize it somehow I guess so that's that was my approach is very much treating him as a real person and how can I make him sympathetic
0: Yeah, and you really do make him sympathetic okay. you know because like you do even Though obviously he's got you know a lot of things that you that don't make him particularly likeable, um, you do you, the questions like it does make you kind of think, is there ever a justification? Like, could you ever, right? You know, like you, if you were if you were in love, could you, mm. you know, and, and I, I think I think you do that really well. Um, because, but that, that must have been in kind of the development of Michael's character, like you were saying, kind of. And so, how did you go about, um, obviously you know, you're thinking about the vulnerabilities and stuff like that, but how did you go about planning? How did Michael come to you? How does oh. that, that person, like, what did, what did, is that how it started? You had him as a character?
2: Yeah, so, um, yeah, I'm not sure mm-hmm. how much I should say here, but it's very loosely based on, like, uh, an old headmaster. Oh, wow. Right. <laughs> yeah. Cool. So, um, uh, and having gone to a boys school and having sort of have having had this impression of this authoritarian headmaster who sort of instilled this idea of respect or this vague fear as well Mm. in the student body I think that that had like quite a profound that's you don't forget that and that's something you know when you grow up in that situation he, that's a, a character like that sort of sticks with you. Mm. So that's I sort of had that as a resource for yes. free. Okay. Um, obviously, it's a huge like extrapolation from these a few assemblies, and you know, they, it wasn't like we were all uh, in detention every day. But it was just the impression he made, yeah. um, and then obviously a big part of Michael is me as well. Mm. Um, so it's l- sort of like a combination. Um,
0: Did I you guess. always know that you wanted to write about your head teacher <laughs> or the person that like? like or, or what? Like, because sometimes writers are just looking for the right kind of setting or the right kind of pe- person to kind of base something around. And I wonder if you had this idea separately, and then you were like, "Who's the, who can this person be?" Oh, I've always wanted to write about that person. You know? Was yeah. That, well,
2: that? I never, I never really wanted to write about him, but it felt to me that for the 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 thing I wanted to explore, which is this idea of trying to get justice, you know, who would do that? Mm. And it felt to me like that was very much this uh, fictive headmaster's um, morality, you know, the impression of someone who was very stringent morally and was very to the book and believed that as long as you had (coughs) the right code and as long as you followed the code, then you could make sense of the world Um, so that so yeah the two things I guess he came after Mm. when I I knew that I wanted to uh, write about this but then I immediately the first sort of character I reached for was that kind of because you have to have that kind of like uh, belief in you know doing good making Mm. the right choice Um, and there was no one better as far as I could see for that.
1: Yeah, And you do you <coughs> do pose sort of moral quandaries to the reader in terms of that the idea those ideas of revenge. Yeah. Do you think that there is ever a scenario that warrants seeking <laughs> that type of <laughs> revenge?
2: Uh God well it's oh, quite, gonna go out and murder uh, a yeah. <laughs> Well, I personally wouldn't but um it's quite funny because my girlfriend was doing a political theory masters sort of around the time that I was writing so I was cribbing a lot of the sort of philosophical elements Um, as for my own personal philosophy I I don't know I feel like I'm like a moral agnostic in that sense I don't I try to reserve judgment I, I don't think you can achieve much good by going out and blasting people but then again I wouldn't say that it's never um, justified so yeah I'm very much a fence sitter <laughs> I'm afraid. Yeah. It's like A Time to Kill do you
0: remember that, do you remember that book? No. no I've heard of okay. it. Okay it's just a, a really early John Grisham and oh, okay. it's, it's, a, it's also a really great film and it's yeah I, I won't it's a, yeah. <laughs> everyone watch Time to Kill it's really <laughs> festive <in>. um, <laughs> so um, despite being like qu- quite a long read yeah. uh, it is like super Page like massively page turny That's not a correct expression. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I wonder whether you know. How did you approach? Did you were you thinking when you were writing it that you were writing a pacey like, thriller? What, was there any was was this just kind of what happened that it magically turned out this pacey? <laughs> or did you did you have any, do you have any tips for people that are trying to write something that's as compelling? And- uh,
2: well, I'm really glad that you say that. Um, can I just ask also on the Kindle? How does it show like the
0: how far through or the, re- or the redacted well, bits well
2: like um, I don't know
0: like. On exactly like that okay oh I don't know whether I got the music oh no you do get the music you get the music and and you get the redacted bits just click completely blocked out
2: okay so same as that oh, so like and it course. is
0: like that it's like the little the short pages yeah the short yeah. pages okay I just wondered yeah.
2: um, because I think the sort of the fragmentary nature of it that I think yeah. that was a big part of keeping things quick the idea that because you could just have a sentence or two Mm. and you didn't have to spend a whole scene establishing mood, having the character do something like smash a mirror, Mm. all to say, you know, he's upset or whatever. You could be quite, I could be quite explicit and say, you know, exactly what uh, Michael's thinking, which obviously goes against, you know, the uh, creative writing classes love to say, show, don't tell. And this is very much an exercise in telling and not showing, um, <laughs> but I think that's really useful because you can keep it short, and as long as what he's thinking and why he's thinking is all sort of in service of a plot, mm. then hopefully it remains quite like readable. Uh, and definitely readability was a key aim, and I think that was the most difficult part, how do you get outside of his head? Because... Most of the novel occurs in his head because it's all about him making a decision, you know. Um, so how do you dramatise that decision-making process? Um, and, but I do think also because it's there's so much white space involved, it does sort of help uh, that sense of you know turning the page and moving on. It, yeah. I think that sort of in, in a quite, I don't know, not physical, but the sort of the type itself and the layout on the page does contribute to your reading experience and how you sort of feel like you're progressing through it. So I, I think f- that helps as well.
0: I suppose like with the, I always feel like when I'm reading that kind of stuff, well, I can obviously, I can obviously get a couple more of these in before. Yeah, exactly. You know, like, so it c- does, yeah. it does kind of compose you. Yeah. But I feel like this, that kind of like sparse writing or like that sort of fragmentary writing is so hard to kind of master. And I right. think a lot of people, I don't know whether it's kind of a normal, um, approach for writers to think I'm going to make this as fast as possible because then I can write this faster
2: right (laughs) because that's
0: that's definitely what I think right but I also I would love to be able to write something that says so much in not that much text you know what I mean I
1: I think we are starting to see that style of writing becoming a bit more popular I'm thinking a Cindy clemens book yeah the name of which now is yeah. what
0: we Lose by Cindy clemens and uh, megan hunter writes something really sparse and also yes. sophie macintosh is the water cure her she says a lot in not necessarily that many words mm. and i think it's it's like it's just such a fine art it's just like a so any any advice uh, for someone uh, trying to write that
2: well i i there's a lot of material cut from it and oh, i really? think that's what gives it that uh, sparseness because there were sections which were much longer, there were whole sort of different stories and different threads and the whole thing got rearranged quite a lot and I think if you redraft something sort of four or five times then it ends up, you do cut a lot of fat Um, especially if you do need to sort of rearrange the furniture or change the plot then you are just going to lose stuff so I think a lot of it is just in the editing as Mm -hmm. well Um, but otherwise you know, I I would just warn against you know don't do anything too deliberately because um, I think again, you know, creative writing courses they love to say you know these have these rules like show don't tell or they love to sort of um, promote certain stylistic devices as well like you know no adverbs or whatever you know these sorts of rules and I, I think that can kind of it makes you sound like a lot of other Books, mm. um, so I think it's necessary to sort of just know what you're trying to achieve and then do that. And it may be that yeah, you you sort of outlaw commas or whatever you want to do, yeah. but it sh- as long as it's in service of what you're trying to do, um, yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> nice. And and just briefly, um, we've talked about the f- sort of almost fantastical nature of it, and we've talked about mm. revenge obviously there are questions over Michael's sanity we, we mm. meet him in therapy which is obviously I'm going to very very strongly caveat that you don't need to have any type of mental impairment or illness to be in therapy <laughs> but there have been questions uh, uh, and as a reader you do question whether he is reliable was mm. that something that that you thought about when you were writing it, or did he always seem very reliable to you?
2: Uh, well no like I th- he's sort of uh, somewhat based, on, not based but there's a big influence of um, some of Kazuo Ishiguro's unreliable narrators So, in Remains of the Day or An Artist of the Floating World where you have what you think is a very intimate relationship with this narrator and you feel that they are honest and that in a, they are completely honest but there's something they're not telling you or there's something they're not aware of and I think that's, for me, most beautifully done in An Artist of the Floating World where, by the end, the preoccupations of the main character are so completely out of sync with the world around him. Uh, so for me, that was the unreliability it wasn't so much him sp- specifically you know, fooling the reader, yeah. but it's the, you have to illustrate the void between how he sees the world and how the world may actually be Um, so yeah and I think it's inevitable you know if you have a first-person narrator if they're an you know an actual person they're going to be flawed possibly a bit weird and have some strange ideas and be a bit neurotic like everyone else so you can't really be reliable <laughs> yeah, but maybe that's a philosophical. Reliable. Yeah, you can't
0: really be <laughs> fully reliable. Yeah. I was going to ask you about um, why there's no page numbers.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're asking me. <laughs> um, yeah. that It was. It was a suggestion from my editor, um, which I thought was quite funny, and that was basically it. Is because he thought it would be quite nice to sell the idea of this sort of found document or this collection mm. of not necessarily entirely coherent um, bits and also I think we just thought it'd be quite fun to go along with the redactions I mean it's a complete pain in the ass if you want to find a passage uh, or say just go to page 81 Um, so I am slightly regretting it but I'm glad that you know I'm the one suffering for my pretentiousness.
0: <laughs> just have to know your book really well to know where all the pages are. Yeah, I think
2: sticky notes is the answer there. That's um, a good plan. Yeah, so sometimes you know it's not like a huge um, reason. It's part of it is is the playfulness and to have a bit of fun. And I think that's that's sort of the bit of from uh, B.S. Johnson again. It's having fun with the words on the page and how they can look and just you know it can give you satisfaction just. To how how a page looks and
0: definitely, you know, and it's, so. it's it's a it's a pretty sexy book. It is, know. yeah, it's, yeah. Yeah, it's super pretty
2: sexy. <laughs> yeah, super sexy. It's a great cover, yeah. <laughs> it's a great
1: cover. Well, on that note, Anthony thank you
0: so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. The Riff Raff podcast is hosted by co-founders Amy Baker and Rosie Edwards. Come say hey at the